You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition and their new centerfire rifle ammunition, Terminal Ascent. Now, the Terminal Ascent has a slipstream polymer tip that helps flatten trajectories and initiates low-velocity expansion at longer ranges. The Terminal Ascent gives you match-grade long-range accuracy in a bonded hunting bullet and it comes in a variety of cartridges including the 6.5 Creedmoor, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 28 Nosler, the 7mm Remington Mag 30-06 and the 300 Win Mag. If you want to find more information about the Terminal Ascent, visit federalpremium.com and while you're there, check out It's Federal Season, the official podcast of Federal Ammunition. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I just got back from Colorado. I'm feeling good. Had a little vacation with the wife, got some time to relax away from the kids. And it's amazing. I love my kids to absolute death and back. But being away from them for a short period of time is rejuvenating. It's uh, much needed. I like I needed to stop being a dad for like three days. And so we got away from the kids. We dumped them off at uh, the grandparents house and dude had a blast, man. We did some wine tasting. We got up into the mountains, did some biking and hiking, uh, ate a lot of good food and just kind of relaxed. And I'm telling you right now, nature can do that to you. Nature can, if you're stressed, if you are feeling down about yourself, whatever, get outside, do something. I swear to God, man, nature can heal you. And uh, yeah, so that's what I've been doing. And now it is time to get back into the world of whitetails and planning for my upcoming hunts. I I need to get back into a regimen for uh, shooting my bow. I need to start getting my gear organized because believe it or not, October is really close and uh, I feel like I'm just a step or two behind the eight ball for uh, most of the, you know, 
most of my prep work, but I don't need to really buy anything. The only thing that I need to do is start shooting my bow, get my gear organized, and uh, my mule deer South Dakota hunt is going to be here before we know it. Now, today's guest, today's guest, you know him, Mark Kenyon. Uh, <laughs> we uh, we have a lot of fun whether it's on the Wired to Hunt podcast or the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast or whatever. We have a lot of fun recording these episodes. And today's episode is, in a way, it's a BS session. We BS about, you know, out west. We BS about, um, you know, family and other things that are going on in life. But we also get into a really serious conversation about some current events that are going on. And that is the Boone and Crockett Club. And the, what is it, the Pope and Young Club have decided to make uh, cell cams. I guess you would say they've they've decided to make cell cams non-fair chase items. So if you use a, a cell cam, they consider it not fair chase. If you get a picture of the buck and then whenever you go out and you shoot them, that is considered not fair chase. So we have a conversation about that. We have a conversation about scoring your deer in general. And then we get into, I guess, what the main topic is about, even though it's about 50-50 uh, as far as this podcast is concerned. And that is backcountry meals. Um, I have been putting a lot of thought into the food that I'll be taking on my Western hunts and you know my Michigan hunt as well. But items that uh for breakfast you know snacks meals throughout the day we talk about preparation we talk about the difference between hunting out of a tent versus hunting out of a truck and uh, the meals that uh, go along with that so it's about a 50 50 podcast some of it we talk about uh, you know those those new restrictions for cell cams and then we also talk about uh prepping or food prep or fruit food and meal planning for backcountry or out-of-state hunts so that's the gist of it right this is a long intro and i apologize but uh we got to do a quick commercial and it's for vortex optics if you want to find out more about vortex optics whether it's their spotting scopes their range finders their binoculars visit vortexoptics.com but these guys have just released recently their brand new diamondback binoculars their diamondback uh, spotting scopes and they sent me one in the mail before i could even say that i had one just to test out and man i'm telling you i've had my eyes in some very high dollar optics before and you really can't notice the difference in my opinion i mean not only are these affordable but they're very high quality uh the binoculars their uh their spotting scopes their range finders their rifle scopes i don't own any rifle scopes per se because i'm not necessarily a quote-unquote gun guy but every person i talked to i wore a vortex shirt when i was out in colorado and i had like three people say dude i love their rifle scopes love their rifle scopes so you know that their products are awesome but what even makes the company awesome is that they are participants in the the industry that they sell their products in right 
they're hunters. They they shoot guns. They are participants in, in that uh, in that aspect. And some companies can't say that. So that's why I'm drawn to Vortex. Not only because of their kick-ass products, but because of the people that they work there. You know, the people that work there. And to top it all off, their warranty. You break it. No, doesn't matter how you break it. You send it in. They will fix it for free and send it back to you. That's the best warranty out out there, right? It's it's uh, it's a win win for everybody involved, right? So, do me a favor and go check out vortexoptics.com, rifle scopes, red dots, binoculars, range finders, spotting scopes, all the good stuff. They have it all. Vortex Optics. That's the commercial. Uh, now we can get into today's episode with Mark Kenyon. In three, two, one. I'm not even really going to do a welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, blah, blah, blah intro. I'm just going to say, Mark Kenyon, how are you doing? Was that? That's it? the, in, that's, yeah, that's it. That's the intro. So are we intro? Are we talking now? Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, we can be. <laughs> All right. I, <laughs> I mean, do you want me to do the monster truck race intro or is, is what I've done? Okay. I, I thought it was wonderful. I, I like the fact that we're very unsure of ourselves. Though. <laughs> Mark, Mark Kenyon is our guest today, everybody. There's that. <laughs> <laughs> these i feel like we're getting better and better at opening these shows i know <laughs> very strong right very strong. right I, i'll be honest that wasn't my best that wasn't my <laughs> best but uh we kind of caught up a little bit before we started recording and as usual we always start getting into a, a really good conversation before we hit the record button then we have to stop and then we have to say okay well we we got to start recording this i know we got to just start recording from the moment we start on the phone, probably. Right, absolutely. And then just hard go right from the start, right from yeah. pickup. Where you say Mark Kenyon. Yep, and Mark Kenyon. Say, are, we, are we recording? Are we not recording? <laughs> so what's the deal here? And then we have to actually just sound like dipshits the first 10 minutes of the episode, oh, which is yeah. normal for yeah. really what we do anyway. I hope they're used to it by now. <laughs> well, um, today's topic, and we're going to get into it here in a little bit, is going to be backcountry food. Uh, the, the meals that we take when we go backcountry hunting or uh, out of state hunting or stuff like that. And I wanted to get in a, in a conversation with you about that. We're going to cover some current events here in, in a second, but, uh, before we get into all of that, I must say, um, I see you go out to Idaho every year or out West every year and I get extremely jealous, but I'm a little bit less jealous this year because I just got back from Colorado myself and, uh, dude, man, I don't know what it is. And I want, I want to get your take on it, but there's something about the West, the views, the mountain, uh, a little bit less people. And to me personally, it just, it speaks to me. Nature just grabs me by the shirt collar and shakes me when I'm out there. And I, I love every second of it. I, 2000% right there with it. But the bigger question I have is how does your wife feel about things now? Because she came along with you on this trip. Yeah, she did. Which was her first time to Colorado with you at least, right? Yeah. Uh, first time to Colorado with me. And I'll tell you this. So we went to, we flew in from, let's see, we flew from Des Moines to Denver, took it from Denver to 
Grand Junction, and then we spent two nights in Grand Junction before we headed up into the the quote unquote mountains. But uh, she loves wine, and Grand Junction, that Grand Valley, is like vineyards and orchards and just like her scene big time so we definitely got to do the uh, Sarah part of the trip which was wine tastings and eating good food and doing all that kind of stuff Uh, and then we got to go into the mountains and do my kind of thing too so it was a a great overall trip where it wasn't just like 10,000 feet busting your ass for five straight days and then it wasn't just you know, winery after winery after winery. I mean, I love wine. Don't get me wrong, but this was an awesome trip. And I think, dude, this this came out of her mouth, and it made me it made me do some thinking. She said to me, "Man, I could live here. <laughs> I could I could I could live out here." And then I talked to some buddies out there, and they're like, uh, "It costs how much to live out here?" <laughs> so, would you would you ever uh, consider it, dude? I don't know, man. Colorado's kick ass. First off, it's yeah. expensive as hell to live, but it's so cool. I, it really anywhere out west, and I think the reason she liked it was because the vineyards area was so yeah. close to where we where we visited. So, but she likes going out there now, and she wants to go out again. And I think now all it is is finding a balance between time. Right? It's like okay. What are I want to I want to climb a 14er. Are you are you down or am I going to do it by myself? And I think I think that it's okay if you go on a vacation and your wife does one thing and you split off and and do something else. You don't have to be together the whole time. Yeah, hey, if you're both happy doing that, that's that's a win-win. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's exciting. Yeah. I'm glad uh, I'm glad she was into it because what? I know that makes things a lot better for you. Yeah, absolutely. What about you? Like talk to me Talk to me about the West because I get, I almost am a dangerous driver when I'm out there because I'm just <laughs> zoning out into the mountains when I drive. Yeah. It doesn't get old either. No. I mean, every single year, as, as you know, for the last six years now, I've been spending, I don't know, about a quarter of the year out West, a quarter to a third every year now. Um, and every time I'm out there, I just, I keep, I, I even say it out loud to myself or to Kylie, my wife, it's just like, ah, this, this doesn't get old. This is just, I mean, it's, it's been a, it's been something that's pulled at the heartstrings of people in America for decades and decades and, and centuries, really. So it's, it's nothing new to us. There's, there's something about that landscape. There's something about that sense of, of freedom, of more open space, of less people, uh, at least relative to where a lot of people like us are coming from further east. Uh, and then you've just got, you know, some of the wildest stuff we have left in America as far yeah. as landscapes, as far as animals. Um, yeah, man, it's it's good stuff. I just got done with uh, we, we spent two months there right on the Idaho Wyoming line. And it was great. And uh, it's it's nice to be back in Michigan, seeing my whitetails and all that. But I. I'm looking forward to getting back out there in a few weeks for September. Yeah. Uh, what do you got? What do you got for a hunt in September? So I got a whitetail tag in Idaho. Um, and I also got an elk tag that I am unsure about what I'm going to do with now because I originally thought I, we were going to spend the whole month of September out there. And so I thought, okay, I could do an elk hunt and a whitetail hunt. But now it's we're not going to be able to have – my wife's not going to be able to come out there with me with the kids. 
So now it's just going to be just me going out there and, and Furter's going to come out to try to shoot a buck. But I can't, I don't think I can spend two weeks away from my wife and two kids and her having to do everything on her own. So I'm, I'm looking into what I'm going to do about that elk tag. If I'm going to return it or if I'm going to try to go later, I don't, I don't know what to do, but, uh, but uh, for sure I'm doing the whitetail hunt. Have got some cool places scouted out, found some nice bucks, some good looking prospects on public land. So excited about that. Um, what I really like about this stuff is, is uh, all of the whitetail spots I found also have great trout streams running through them. So I can fly fish midday. I can hunt in the mornings <laughs> of the evenings. It's a, it's a pretty sweet setup from that perspective. Um, so yeah, dude, it's, it's, uh, it's some pretty cool stuff. As you know, we actually kind of put down some roots out there and bought a little cabin. So um, it's been nice to kind of develop a sense of home in a place that I've spent a lot of time and always wanted to have some kind of, roots there but uh now we're doing it it's it's got a slightly different flavor to it that's that's kind of cool you know what would be kick-ass is if you do a run and gun and you kind of set up near a stream but you also pack in your fly equipment with you so (laughs) all you literally have to do is hunt the morning get down you know fish then get back right up into the into the tree Honest to goodness, I could probably do that in one of these spots and I might I might try it (laughs) the back-to-back that that'd be a hell of a challenge to pull off. I mean, that'd be, and if you if you catch a 16 inch plus trout on a, on a dry fly and arrow a mature whitetail buck, you basically can die and go to heaven. Right, that. right, free pass. <laughs> right, it. there's You're nothing done. else you need to do. You can't top that. <laughs> <laughs> That's nuts, dude. That's awesome. Well, uh, man, one of these years you got to come out. When you're able and and join me out there and and do some fly fishing with me and or hunt or or do both do the back to back with me because yeah. uh, now that I've got a base camp it's it's a pretty good situation for that kind of thing yeah and I'll tell you that's a smart move because I can definitely see my I work from home my wife works from home so we don't need to be in Iowa other than when the kids are in school right mm-hmm. so the second school gets out we can go and go someplace, do something. And then once school gets back in, get back to Iowa. And that seems to be like the routine that you guys are on. Yeah. It's, I mean, I recognize that we're super lucky that we can do that. Right. Not a lot of people have a situation like you and I where both us and our wives work remotely. So I know that's unique. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's sweet. That's what we basically do. We take off for the summers and get to kind of live both of these sides of our life. And, um, yeah, school will, will change things up a little bit. We're still figuring that out. But in your case, you could just do the summers for now. We're going to try to do a little more than just the summers. I think next year we're going to go out maybe April through July and then September. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's really nice because you never take anything for granted when you do that where like one eventually get kind of sick of like the Midwest and my house here. I'm kind of like, ah, this old house is old and cruddy and I can't do anything at this time of year. And then you go out West and you've got all that fun new stuff. Mm-hmm. And then after you're out there for a while, then when you come back to the place in Michigan, it's like, oh, this is so nice and big compared to our little tiny thing there. <laughs> and there's all these white tails and like, oh, this is awesome. So I'm, I'm constantly refreshed. And yeah. I, I think I need that personally. I get antsy when I'm stuck doing the same thing for too long. Um, I'm always like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? So it's, it's kind of good for my personality, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, I saw the, I saw the, uh, the picture 
of the the buck trend that you've been following for the past couple of years. I mean, everybody who listens to this podcast listens to yours. So uh, I'm uh, I'm jacked that uh, I'm going to be knocking on some doors around your house. How, how- <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> A lot of people are like, so is that the buck that Dan's going to target this year? <laughs> no, uh, that's like, that's, that violates bro code so hard. I, I, <laughs> like if I, if I started knocking on your, on your neighbor's doors, just be like, Hey man, I'm only here for a couple days. Do you mind if I hunt real quick? <laughs> That'd be, it'd make for an interesting podcast discussion. Right. Give that. <laughs> just a whole bunch of awkward silences throughout that entire episode. <laughs> No, but I tell you what, I'm excited that you're going to be here at that time period early in the season because I think that's when I've got one of my best chances at him. So it'd be pretty sweet if uh, I got a crack at him while you were in the oh, area. Oh, dude, I'd love to help you drag him out. I would love it. That would be sick, dude. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll see. I want to get into uh, a quick current event uh, that kind of just unfolded in the last couple of days before we start talking into the, the main topic today. But, um, I want to get your take on this because the the Pope and Young Club, and I think the Boone and Crockett uh, Club has already made a statement on this, but I'm not going to read word for word the statement, but here's what here's the skinny of it. If you use a cell cam where the picture is sent to your cell phone or a hub, you know, like uh, there's some apps that go to your phone and it notifies you when there's a picture. If you use that tool while shooting a deer and uh, you try to get it into the record books, they will not allow it because they feel it violates their fair chase. So I want to get your take on that. Do you feel, do you feel that cell cameras take away fair chase? And second, what are your thoughts on measuring deer and having them entered into either Pope and young or Boone and Crockett? Okay. Um, how about I'll tackle part B first. Okay. Um, I, I'm a kind of indifferent to the whole score record books these days. I, but I'll tell you a little bit of the history of, uh, that kind of colors what I think when they first were created, like the Boone and Crockett club was founded back in the late 1800s, uh, by Theodore Roosevelt and George Bird Grinnell. They had this idea that they could actually help protect and manage these species by trying to record those those specimens for posterity's sake, for history's sake, because at that time in the late 1800s, a lot of these critters were disappearing. Yeah. We, we, you know, we were wiping out the elk herds. We were wiping out the deer herds. We almost exterminated buffalo. Um, so at that time, there was this this very strong conservation purpose to recording these, to knowing, hey, this is the, the quote-unquote quality or the size or the, whatever metric they could use to, to somehow quantify these animals. They had some kind of baseline to say, hey, in 1887, this is what these deer were measuring, and this could allow them in 1910 to look back and say, hey, we've, we've protected the species that's still around, but the average animal is seriously declining. Why is that? Different, different types of use cases like that could have come from that whole record keeping 
process. So I think it came from a good place. Um, but as things progress through the 20th century, we get into the 90s, we get into the early 2000s, we get into kind of score mania. And you and I have talked about this a million times on both of our podcasts, just kind of how the craziness around antler score has caused all sorts of kind of maybe unintended negative consequences. People getting so worked up about deer antler size that they obsess over that and, and forget about many of the other aspects of hunting, or they pressure other people into feeling that they need to shoot bigger deer or high scoring deer and feel bad if they shoot a small scoring deer it makes people get so wrapped up in a score that they poach or they cheat or they lose a good friend or they do something stupid. Like there's all these things that happen when people get a little bit too obsessed with antlers and the record books have definitely contributed to that to a degree. Um, but at the same time, I kind of feel like we're reaching a new or we're, we're heading back towards a new equilibrium maybe where it seems like more and more people kind of are, are getting over that. They've, there's been this overkill of that sensation. People are, and maybe this is because it's my own bubble. Maybe it's because like you and I talk about this and our friends are all kind of like, you know what, the score thing is kind of fun to look at every once in a while, but we're not going to get worked up about it. We're not going to judge each other or judge our deer by that. Um, will we get excited if we see a 200 inch or will we be excited that I shot my first 160? Sure. But it's not what it's all about. Yeah. Um, I feel like more and more people are looking at things that way. And, and not obsessing over it as much. So all that's a very long-winded way of saying where I am now, I'm not real worked up with score. Like, I'll look at a deer and be like, man, I bet you that's a 140 class, yeah. but I'm not going to be upset if he ends up measuring 138. Or I'm not going to set for myself, like, oh, I'm only going to shoot a 170 or more, and if I don't, I'm a horrible hunter. If I don't, my buddies will think I'm not so good. I'm not going to worry about that. And, and finally... I personally don't have an interest in entering my deer in the record books. Yeah. Um, if somebody else wants to, fine. That's fine. Um, but I, I personally see no value in it for me uh, just simply because I'm not I, – I don't I just don't – that's not something that's going to in any way validate my – uh, hunting success. It's not going to validate me as a hunter. It's not going to make that deer any more or less special. Um, just kind of sounds like an extra hassle. So for yeah. me, not interested in it, but it's okay if other people want to now, I guess it, do you want me to cover anything else on that before I jump to the first part of the question? Yeah, let me, let me, I'll just, man, here's what I say. I feel that Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young have and still do amazing things for conservation, right? But I feel that there's more to than just antler size when it comes to conservation. And I'm sure, I, I think that's one thing we've definitely learned over the last hundred years, right? Is that, you know, in Iowa, where we have great soil, lots of food, uh, a, we can get a 130-inch two-year-old, Right. Uh, other states where maybe, uh, let's say, a mountain state or a state that has you know, a traditionally, uh, let's just say Montana, you know, if you got a, a five-year-old 130 class, that's a great deer out there, yeah. you know, different places. And I, and I know they, they use geography as well in that, but I think there's so much more when it comes to collecting data. And uh, that's, that's just one part. And the other part is, you know, I feel like as we start to learn more about hunting and seeing the decline in numbers, 
right? Uh, you know, uh, hunter retention and hunter recruitment is a big, big topic being discussed right now. I think when we focus on inches, then it takes away that whole, you know, it kind of counteracts what we're trying to do. And that's get more people interested in hunting. And, um, you know, having a conversation with someone who has never, uh, care, you know, a first time hunter, you know, you never want to say to them, well, you shouldn't shoot that deer because a, it's not old enough or B the antlers aren't big enough. Yeah. Right. We got to get those people in the woods and killing deer. And it doesn't matter what their age is and what their, what their size is. So that's just short. That's my short answer. And I'm, I've, I've scored two of my deer. One was because it was a giant fork, uh, fork side. And I wanted to see what it, uh, what it, uh, scored. And the second was, I think I got peer pressured into scoring it from family and, uh, uh, social when I posted my, 2018 i guess it would be considered the the biggest buck i've ever shot but um since then i i don't score my deer i don't the only time i really even talk about inches is when i'm on my podcast because i have no visual i have to describe what a de- what the deer looks like and describing it comparatively to a 140 or a 150 is what i have to do it's the easiest way to do it but other than that I just try to exclude inches from all of my conversations about deer. Yeah. And, and I think that, I think that's where it does come in useful is, is as a descriptive tool. Yeah. Um, that's probably for me too. That's when it becomes most useful is when you're trying to describe to someone like your buddy, ah, I saw a big buck out in the field last night. I was like, well, what do you mean a big buck? And you could say, well, he's about as wide as my shoulders and about as tall as, <laughs> or you could say, ah, he's like a 160 class. And like, yeah. that's something that serious deer hunters can like, okay, I got the basic picture. I think in that way, it's, that's a helpful thing. Yeah. Um, but you, yeah, when he goes the other direction or when someone's like, oh yeah, I killed a buck last night. And you're like, what a score. You didn't care about anything else. Well, then that's when I think, yeah, we've got some problems. So yeah. Yeah. But like I said, I think that, I think that more and more people are kind of feeling the same way. So I, I, I think maybe we're heading in the right direction in some ways on yeah. that front. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you one thing I did though, related to that, which I've, I've scored some of my deer. I, I never make it public. I just have kind of done it for me for like a couple friends, just like we're curious. Um, like Corey, our buddy Corey, you know, he's just like, a, he's we call him the raculator. Like he just, he loves like trying to guess and he's very good at like looking at a deer and figuring it out. That's like a fun thing he does. So he always likes to try to guess. And so it's like a, just a fun friend to friend kind of thing to do. But the one time that I didn't like the feeling was when I killed my biggest buck, Frank. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's a booner. Like he's a booner. Like this is, I, and, and I don't know, again, as I say this, I guess let me explain what happened. I had been thinking I just shot my first booner the whole time. We've been talking about him. He's a Boone and Crockett class buck, just a massive looking deer. And then, um, you know, we went and scored him that night after I killed him. And I'd had a, I'd had a kind of a, a running bet with, with Corey, actually, interestingly. Um, he had killed a 170 inch buck when he turned 30. And I was like, I bet you I'll kill him when I turn 30. And so we kind of had a joking bet about that. And this was my 30th year. And I was like, I did it. I gotcha. And, uh, I scored him and he scored 165. And for a little bit, I was like bummed about that. Like, oh man, I didn't kill a booner. And then like five minutes later, 
And then that night I'm thinking, that is the stupidest thing yeah. that I let myself even feel half a percent bad about this because of a stupid inch thing. Inch, yeah. And then I'm like, oh, now I can't say I killed a boon. Or what a stupid thing to worry about. Yeah. Um, so that was like the one time where I was like, ooh, that was that was icky. I don't want that anymore. So, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm not ever going to worry about it. And maybe I'll score a deer for fun with buddies, but it's not something that really is is ever going to be something that I get wrapped up in. And uh, I think that, at least for me, and I know from you too, like there's there's so 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 much more that goes into it that uh, why worry about it when the bigger picture is so great, anyways. Yeah, uh, couldn't agree more, dude. Couldn't agree more. Now the second, uh, the first part of that two part question was about tr- uh, cell cams being uh considered i guess guess you would say not fair chase if you used to sell cam and i got some mixed mixed emotions and mixed feelings about that because as hunters every piece of equipment that we buy whether it's camo whether it is a pair of wool socks or boots or a rifle or a bow or a specific broadhead or we tune our arrows a certain way everything that we buy leads to us in some way shape or form creating an advantage over that animal and i and i know that even food plots and box blinds you know you get you get the drift here oh yeah what is your thought on i guess do you feel that a cell cam is considered not fair chase so i thought about this a lot um and I do think that we as hunters need to be having these conversations or internal dialogues, even just with ourselves, about where we draw a line for technology and how we hunt. Because, right as you said, every piece of technology, every tool we use gives us different sets of advantages and it changes the playing field. And I don't want to say playing field in some way, making it sound like we're playing with these animals, but I mean, it, it changes the set of circumstances as we are out there hunting and and as we both know a lot of what we get out of hunting a lot of what makes it i think ethical and enjoyable is that it is not guaranteed it is a huge challenge it is um it's the odds are out of our favor most of the time so i think that you lose something if you turn that equation the other direction if the odds are in your favor most of the time i don't know what that is anymore but that doesn't seem like hunting um so for me i've always thought you need to draw a line somewhere and maybe that line shifts as you change or grow as a hunter um but i think that we all kind of have that line and it's probably a little bit different for all of us based on traditional uses based on culture based on our abilities what we want out of a hunt um And then sometimes I think that there are times when some kind of regulating authority should draw the line. So, for example, I like the fact that most states have banned the use of drones when it comes to scouting and hunting deer, right? I think that that seems like a pretty obvious line to be crossed where the advantage just goes so much out of the deer's favor and into ours. If I could take a drone, drive it over a field, see my big buck right there and walk right now and shoot him. Um, that's something that for me, at least it seems pretty obvious that's going across the line. So all that's to say when it comes to wireless trail cameras, this one 
walks that line in a real close way for me personally. I, I see it in this way. I see it as a really great tool, a very helpful tool that I like having a lot. Um, where it gets weird and where I get concerned about it is when it becomes almost real time. So when I can get a picture on my phone right now or some people like live stream video, there's a camera. I, I don't know if it's for sale yet, but I remember seeing something this winter where there was a camera that will live stream and you can see what's happening right now at that location. Yeah. Um, and then go do something based off of that. For me, that's beyond the line. Um, I would not feel comfortable getting a picture right now and realizing, oh, wow, that deer is 100 yards away. I'm going to sneak over there and kill him. That seems that's 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 across the line for me. Definitely the live stream video things across the line for me. Um, that said, with many of today's cell cameras, that part part of that is possible. You could get a picture on your phone right now and go do something. So. I, what would make it better in my eyes, and again, this is where it gets a little tricky, but for me, I think if you could have like a, a next day delivery or, where, or a six-hour delay or even a couple-hour delay, some kind of delay so it's not immediate so that as long as I can't do something right now about it and that, that whenever I can do something that deer somewhere else, I feel then it's it, it there's enough of the chance out there. There's no kind of guarantee. There's no kind of sure thing. It now is, it's still hunting. Um, I feel like it's okay in that situation, but I wouldn't want to be placed in a deal where I've got that picture right now and I can go kill him right now. Cause I know where he is. Um, I don't want all my bucks to have radio tags on them and I can see where they're at all the time. That's, yeah. that's no fun. Yeah. So, so that's where I'm at. I, I like to keep a delay on my pictures. So I get them like once a day, that way I'm not going to feel guilty at all about it. I'm going to feel like, okay, this is where they were sometime recently, but of course right now, who knows? So I've got to use that information and make a guess. I want to be guessing and predicting and try to anticipate where he is. I don't want to know based off of, uh, you know, picture was beamed up into the internet and then down to my phone. So, so that's where I am on using wireless cameras. I use them, but I try to place a little bit of a buffer on it. As far as Pope and Young or Boone and Crockett, putting some kind of regulation around it. Um, I think I'm okay with that. Yeah. Not because, not because of like this hard set line that I'm setting for myself and that I think everybody has to follow that. Although I think we all need to think about this and draw that line for each of ourselves there. Um, I do think that one of the main things would not think, I know that one of the main things that the Boone and Crockett club tried to do when they got started it wasn't just recording uh, antler scores. It was also this establishment of the fair chase ethic. Mm -hmm. And they were really the ones that first um, wrote out what this means, fair chase, what it meant to be a quote unquote sportsman, how to try to, you know, going away from the old ways of market hunting and just killing masses of animals to trying to do this in a way that the animal is, um, is in the advantage and that we are, leveling the playing field as we best as we best possibly can. And so that was one of the original things they did. So I kind of like the fact that they are still trying to be a leader in that way today. Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe a lot of people don't care about entering their bucks into the books, but I do think it's kind of a statement. It kind of says, Hey, we are one of these thought leaders historically in this space and we are saying that wireless trail cameras are something that we as a hunting community need to really think carefully about. And we as individuals really need to be careful because it's walking that fair chase line. It really is. And 
I'm okay with them making a stance like that because I think that forces us as, as individuals to think about it. And that's a good thing, I think. Yeah. Even if we don't plan to participate in their organization. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What do you what do you think about all that? Yeah, I don't know, man. I just feel that there's so much gray area. There's so many rules and regulations uh, within different states, like uh, baiting, right? Uh, baiting is illegal in some states. It's not illegal in others. And I don't know if you, I, honestly, I don't know the answer to this, but whether or not if you shoot a deer over bait, if you can consider it for Pope and Young or Boone and Crockett, um, and I just I think you can. I, yeah, I, I think that there's so much gray area out there because whether you are using a cell cam and I, I understand the real time data and I know Boone and Crockett has a statement about long range shooting. Uh, I, yeah. I looked and I couldn't find a, a, a designated yardage uh, in there. It just says any range where the animal is not able to use its defense mechanisms again like sight or uh, uh, sense of smell or its legs to run away or whatever you know so I just feel like there's so much gray area there because a rifle you know even at 200 yards 300 yards uh, some deer may be conditioned and especially in their environment to accept some form of human pressure right so I, I just don't, I don't get when a, I understand what you're saying when you say, okay, somebody needs to put that line in the sand and say whether or not, you know, we as an organization don't feel that cell cams are uh, a form of fair chase, but uh, an argument, a really good argument could also be said for rifles. It could also be said for food plots. It could also be uh, said for ozone in the tree, right? And I just feel that there's so much, I feel like there's there, some of these lines should have been drawn in the sand a long time ago. For sure. And, and you're right. Like there's a whole bunch of these things. And, and I, I, in 99% of the cases, I don't feel like, you know, any one of us should be determining what that line in the sand is for other people. Right. We all have to do that kind of for ourselves unless there's like a legal thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but I do think that, I do think that at least it, it's like a symbolic gesture is what they're doing because like, there's no teeth behind what they're doing. Most people don't care about the record book bucks. Most people don't. It's not going to be, oh, damn it. I can't put my buck in there. It's going to ruin my day. It's going to ruin my hunt. It's kind of just a symbolic gesture, which is why they made it so vague, like the long distance shooting thing. They made their statement very vague on it, but enough that you kind of are forced to consider like the, the philosophical essence of the question and so i would i'm commending them not because of the fact that they're drawing this line in the sand and saying no cell cameras i commend them because they are making us talk about it because you and i are having this conversation right now and i think there's value there if you and i are at least thinking about this stuff and like you know maybe tonight i'm gonna sit there and think well maybe i don't know what do i think maybe tonight you're thinking well maybe i gotta be careful with how i'm using these things or whatever and maybe there's you know, 10,000 people listening or whatever over the course of the next couple months. And, and they kind of have conversations with their buddies at the coffee table or whatever it is. I think that's the good thing. Not that my way of using cell cameras is better than yours or anybody else's, but if we're all at least being thoughtful of the implications of that and, and 
I think that right there is is an important thing. So yeah. that's probably takeaway from their from their stance. I I get what you're totally get what you're saying, and the fact that this stuff, you know, we can't have people arbitrarily choosing all these things for us and forcing certain regulations down our throat like that. Um, but I like the fact that we can't be thoughtless. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Well, I don't know. It's one of those things where we just, as you can, because like you said, technology is leading us down a, a path of, I don't know, ease, making things easier. You know, like 20 years ago, there was so many things that we didn't have when we were hunting 15 years ago. And now we have oh, yeah. all these things and uh, they're all designed to make our lives as uh, hunters easier in some way, shape, or form. And the next 10, 15, like you said, man, I mean, there's going to be there's going to be security cameras on food plots. There's going to be, you know, like real-time live streaming. I mean, if our phone can do it, there will be a hunting application for it in some yeah. way, you know, in the in the future. So... I don't know. I guess I just cross that bridge uh, when when you get to it and make each individual needs to make the decision whether they feel comfortable using that form of technology or that long range shot or whatever on an individual basis. Yeah. Would you would you run a live stream camera on a place you can hunt and use that information today? Or would you feel? Well, I guess. Yeah. Answer me that live stream. No. I have yeah. no, like right now I have no interest in live stream. I have yeah. cell cams that, um, are like a five minute delay from the time I get the picture to the time it hits my phone. Um, I can adjust that to every hour, every six hours once every 24 hours, right? I can adjust those settings, but knowing where like we talk about this all the time that chess match right that's what is part of our interest into hunting so yeah. you take away you put the the game on easy mode it just it doesn't i don't know it just it yeah. doesn't interest me exactly so what so now i'm, I'm just kind of curious like where what would that delay need to be where you would start to feel like eh, i don't know about this okay so like, the la- like, like you're, you're sitting in the tree stand let's say yeah and you get a buzz in your phone. What, what were, I guess answer my first question before you go there. I know where you're going. I know where you're going. Here's, here's how I'm going to answer that. I've used cell cams the last two years and I've put them on the outskirts or I, I've, I'm lucky in two ways where I don't really have to answer that question. One is I hunt river bottom ground. So I don't get the cell, the cell reception necessary to transmit. So that's one way. The other way I, uh, so I can't use them. The other way is I put my cell cams on places with historic nocturnal movement, like on scrapes or uh, field edges, let's say. And I use that data like, okay, he is here at three in the morning so now I know where I can use my access routes and enter. So by process of elimination, I know where he's not at for me to go in and make a move. So hopefully he comes back through that area in his yeah. cycle. So I feel yeah. com- so I know I'm not basically bumping him, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. What would you, 
if you were out there hunting though and you got it and you saw okay this buck was at this location that just so happens to be only 200 yards away and he was there 10 minutes ago or he was there one minute ago or he was there an hour ago yeah would any one of those three options make you feel like i shouldn't go and to use that information some kind of way because if he was there one minute ago you might be tempted okay he's there he was heading north i bet you i could climb on my stand right now make an end around and cut him off at that pinch point or something yeah. like that yeah it, would any one of those situations make you feel like Ugh, yeah. i wish i didn't know that i'll tell you this i haven't had to make that decision yet and this is a poli- this is a political way of answering this question because I'm not really giving you an answer, but I, <laughs> but I don't know until it actually happens, right? Yeah. If I had a t- if I had a, you know, I'm sitting in a tree stand, and um, I, I have two tree stands on the same ridge or in the, on the same part of the farm, and I know that if I get a ding from that trail camera, I have the ability to get out of my tree stand, walk to my other tree stand, get up in it, and potentially cut them off. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, as of right now, I, I'd probably do it. I would probably do it. Just, I don't know. But would I Would I feel the exact, the gratification at the end of it all? I don't know. It's one of those things where I guess I would have to experience it in order to know if I liked it or not. <laughs> Sounds like college. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's not go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> That's funny. What about you? What about you? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think that I would, I would have some like internal like, yeah. If it was like ten minutes ago, fifteen minutes ago, an hour ago, I would feel better about it. But if it was like right now, I'd be sitting there like, oh man, I could do something, but I shouldn't, yeah. and I. I I I think I wouldn't I wouldn't do anything real time, is what is where I've tried to set my stance. The last I don't know I I, I wrote an article about this a couple of year a year or two ago or whenever it was I first used it. So probably two and a half years ago when I first used cell cameras and I I kind of had decided that that's where I wanted to draw my line was I don't want real time information that I can do something about right now. Um, I think that's where I'm that's where it would get weird for me. Yeah. Um, an hour probably i don't know i mean i feel less bad about an hour because he's probably not around there but somebody could make an argument that it's maybe still too much of an advantage i don't know but it's yeah i don't know there's there's a lot of i don't know just like you said um but But let's uh, not get it twisted dude uh knowing where a deer is at at some point in his whether you check a trail camera and say well shit he was here an hour ago yeah right yeah and then that that allows you to make a move on him yeah, I mean, I don't see a big difference in that, whether you got it on your phone or you got it uh, by checking the actual trail camera. An hour is an hour. And if you uh, make a move based off that picture, I mean, I did that in 2017. I think, no, 2016, excuse me. Uh, first day of the, the rut, I went and checked trail cameras, uh, got that buck on camera three days in a row, uh, and the last time he was on there was on uh, whatever, uh, whatever day or whatever time it was at. It was right at last light. I'm, I say to myself, dude, he's coming again. It rained all all day. Uh, I stayed out that morning, went back in that night and killed him. 
And yeah. I, I wasn't a cell cam, but I used the data, the most recent data from that trail camera to make a move on that deer. And it worked. I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's useful. Yeah. No, no denying that. Um, uh, yeah, I think, I think real, I think the real time thing is, is where I can yeah. firmly say it gets icky for me, yeah. but I, you know, I understand that's just me. Well, I'm still waiting on uh, Pope and Young's statement on the acorn cruncher. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if we're talking about, uh, uh, disproportional advantage that <laughs> the old acorn cruncher all you right know, as much as we've talked about the acorn cruncher over the last decade almost now i feel like we really should try to get our hands on one and have some kind of bet around one of us trying to kill a deer that we called in with the acorn cruncher or shoot a buck you have to shoot a buck or let's say a deer you have to shoot a deer within one minute of having acorn crunched yeah. So I told you that I told you the story where I had the acorn cruncher. One of my buddies bought it for me and I, as a joke and uh, a group of does started working in and I was doing exactly what they did on the infomercial. And I started crunching and that first crunch, that doe just beelined it right up into the tree to me, <laughs> looked at me, blew twice, took off running. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. So I don't remember that story. That was oh awesome. man, that was years ago. That was years ago when that happened. So all right. I guess we we did spend a big chunk of time talking about uh the cell cams and Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young and stuff, but I do need to hard pivot now and yeah. I, and talk about use the remaining of the time to cover what <laughs> it's basically nobody except myself is thinking about this right now. Well, I, I'm sure there's people out there thinking about it, but the reason I wanted you on this podcast was basically just to pick your brain about the food that you're using um, on on your uh, out-of-state hunts, on your backcountry hunts, uh, all that stuff. And, um, and I guess I just want to uh, lead off with this question. Does your food regimen change based off of if you're hunting out of your truck or if you're packing it in? Definitely. Okay. Yes. Break that down for us. All right. So my food regimen when I'm packing in is much, much more minimalist. It's much more focused on weight and kind of having like a just enough approach. I pretty carefully choose what I'm going to pack. I package it day by day to make sure I've got the right portion for each day. Um, and I stick to that. I don't eat outside of my daily ration. Um, I can get into more specifics of exactly what I'm talking about if you want. Yeah, go but, for it. But uh, I'll real quick just mention, though, when it comes to the out-of-the-truck stuff, when I'm hunting out of the truck, I plan much more loosely. I will typically try to plan some dinners. And sometimes when I go for out-of-state trips, especially like when I go to Montana for a week, whitetail hunt, living out of my truck or something, I'll bring a dinner pre-cooked and frozen in my cooler for each night and it's something that's kind of like a one-pot meal so i'll make a pot of stew i'll make some chili i'll make pasta and then we'll have like a, a burrito casserole and any one of those things i can take out of the cooler when i get back at night and i can put it in a pot and heat it back up on a burner and i've got it easy delicious, relatively delicious, uh, dinner for myself. Then as far as lunches out of the truck, 
pretty standard. I'll just have stuff for sandwiches and some snacks. And then breakfast, I on everything, both backcountry and front country. I keep breakfast very minimal, usually bars and, uh, you know, coffee. Um, but I definitely allow myself some splurges when I'm doing the front country thing. So when I'm out of the truck, I'll bring some Oreos or I'll bring some treats and stuff like that because you can. And that's a nice little prize for yourself, a little reward to make it through another day and uh, get back to the truck and you can kind of have that treat. When it comes to backcountry stuff, I'm, I'll still do that on occasion, but in a much smaller kind of way. Um, so, so yeah, at a high level, that's how they differ. Um, you know, I'm, I'll typically bring a little Coleman grill slash stove burner with me on those front country truck trips so I can grill something on occasion. I've done that some years. I'll get hot dogs. That's like an easy thing to do. Um, again, if you've got a good storage system set up in your truck and you can bring that extra stuff, I'm okay bringing those extra nice things. And food is an extra nice thing on a trip like that when space isn't an issue. Um, because part of that experience is like enjoying yourself. And I'll tell you what, some of my favorite moments of like a hunting trip or when you get back after a long day of hunting i can think of like last year hunting public land in north dakota and i was like hiking a couple miles in down deep in these river bottoms wading rivers for half a mile and then you got to climb up this steep canyon trail to get to the top of this bluff where my truck is and by the time i get there it's an hour and a half after dark i'm just whooped and it's, everything else is just black pitch black everywhere you get to your truck you crack it open you got a cold beer in the cooler, start the stove, heat up my chili, eat an Oreo or whatever it is, or chips and salsa. And it's, it's just a blissful moment when you've got something you really like and you can be there and you can do that. Like, that's a great moment. Um, it's also a great moment when you're in the back country eating something very different, but it is different for different reasons. Right. Um, so, so that's my front country stuff. Let me ask you this. Yeah. When it comes, and, and this is a basically a transition question into the meals that you're bringing for your backcountry, are you a protein counter or a carb counter or a fat counter saying, hey, I need to have this much of this, this much of this, and this much of this every day? I am not. Okay. I'm not. Um, I When I first started doing this stuff, I wondered about if I needed to do that, and I started that a little bit. Um, but I quickly just kind of found what I needed for me to feel comfortable and well fueled. So I've, I've now spent enough time out there doing these things, whether it be backcountry hunting or backpacking trips in the summer and stuff with my wife. I've done that a lot now that I've got a, a strong idea of what I need to feel good and well fueled. So now that I just know I've got a, just a kind of anecdote or I don't even know what how you'd say just in my head kind of calorie meter where I know I'm going to need a certain amount per day. What I do rather than calorie count per day is I just, I just break down day by day into my gallon bags. And so each day I've got a bag and within that bag for that day, I literally will label it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then I have got a breakfast bag a lunch and a dinner. And then I make sure I've got just the right amount of stuff for each meal throughout the course of the day. So I, I am kind of, I'm not 
checking the calories, but I'm making sure, okay, I have myself rationed here these three things for breakfast, these two snacks, this lunch item, and this dinner item, and I make sure I've got that exact same thing or at least the same amount of whatever for each day. Um, so I am organizing in that way, but I'm not worried about, okay, I've got to have 1,500 calories. I just know I need about this much shit per meal. Yeah. So for my breakfasts, what that typically means is I like to have – I'm not a big breakfast person. I keep it pretty light in breakfast. So it's going to be like a cliff bar or an energy bar, protein bar, some kind of equivalent like that. High caloric punch, quick first thing in the morning. I like one of those. I like an energy gel with caffeine in it. And then I like to have a little package of those cliff blocks. They're kind of like gummy bears, but they're gummy blocks. And they also have caffeine, so I, I need my caffeine bump in the morning and some quick boosts of stuff, but I'm, I usually don't have a big appetite right when I get up. So I kind of have to force all that stuff down as I start hiking in the morning, going up in the mountains. So it's something I want. It should be easy to take in. Um, that's what my breakfast is. Every day of the trip, it's some variation on that. Yeah. Um, I don't drink coffee on backcountry hunts in the morning because I'm worried about, you know, shits. So that's <laughs> just to put it bluntly. <laughs> um, so I don't do that for those kinds of hunts. Um, and then my lunches, I usually run tortillas with jerky, summer sausage, cheese, um, and or peanut butter and trail mix that I'll mix into a tortilla. I usually do some version of that. Um, and then I'll have a couple baggies of snacks. I do try to mix it up with snacks. I like to have at least two solid snack options per day. So it could be like a bag of trail mix and, oh gosh, it could be like a, a bar of some kind. It could be dried fruit, like dried fruit, dried meat, that kind of stuff is good snack materials. Um, and then finally for dinner, I always have just one mountain house meal. Um, I've got, I've got some favorites there for sure, but, uh, always a mountain house meal. And then I've started giving myself a little treat for some dinners too. So I'll have like a, a like two Oreos or something, or a little something, or like a little miniature Snickers bar. Again, like a little tiny thing that will make you smile at the end of the day if you had a rough hunt. Yeah. <laughs> and and then I have that same basic amount of stuff and that same breakdown for each day. Um, that's that's how I do it. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man, I'm not a breakfast person either. I know that I have to consume calories, but I'm a bar guy right out of the, out of the bat just because I would rather sleep an extra 10 or 15 minutes than I would preparing a meal. So oh, yeah. it for me, it's just wake up in the tent, open up the bar, stuff it down, put my boots on, start walking. You know, yeah, that, get going. Yeah, get going. Now, one thing that I, I do, and I love doing this, is bringing my water boiler and instant coffee with me. So when we get to the glassing point, throw up the tripod, and as things start to move, you know, I'm sitting there with a, a cup of hot coffee. And in cold weather, that is something that can, I don't know. I know that I've been there before. I don't know about you, but you get to a point where, like maybe it's day three or day four of a hunt and you're just worn out a, a, a fresh cup of coffee can change your attitude. 
Yeah. Like, and I, I mix it with some protein powder. So it's uh, instant coffee and uh, some protein powder and that it's, it's hot, it's warm. It's got some caffeine in it. It tastes good. And, uh, that, that to me is a, a much needed morale boost, uh, on some days, especially if yeah. you've walked a long way or you're exhausted or maybe you're in a shitty mood cause you missed or you hit an animal and didn't find it or whatever, uh, something like that. And another, uh, so that's, that's like my breakfast morning routine. Now, if we're into it already, then I just skip the coffee and wait for it uh, another day. But kind of backtracking, uh, I did, and I think I may have learned it from you, uh, was the everything for Monday goes in Monday's bag, everything yeah. for Tuesday and just organization. So if I'm starving, <laughs> I can't, I can eat everything in this bag, but I better not get into the next day's bag because yeah. that, that will suck. So everything's organized. And then I, I take a, a snack, I call it my snack pack. It has, um, more bars. It has beef jerky. I'm a trail, uh, trail mix guy. So I actually go to the grocery store and I buy, uh, in the grocery store that I go to, they have all these big containers of peanuts or cashews or dried apricots or whatever. And I actually make my own trail mix. Ooh, uh, nice. I don't make the nuts and things, but I, I mix it all to, to my liking. And I <laughs> Thanks make for it, clarifying yeah. that. <laughs> and, uh, I, I thought maybe you were roasting your own omelets. Yep, yep. <laughs> full roast in my uh, garage. <laughs> but, uh, and then I, I, and that, that way it allows me to do something different every day. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not a fan of the guy that the guy that I went mule deer hunting with. I'm not joking. He would eat like four Cliff Bars a day, like, dude, that, and he dude, was cool with that. Dude, that was you. I know on your first on your first elk hunting I know. trip. I was I was just telling someone the other day about when you showed up on our elk hunt and had like ten Cliff Bars packed per day. <laughs> yeah, was it was nuts. <laughs> It was nuts. Like I, and, uh, and uh, it was like carrying around five textbooks in my, in my pack with all the bars. Stomach probably yeah. after, after uh, Davey and that stuff. Oh, uh, well that plus my mountain houses didn't end up well on that trip. Oh, so God. Yeah. I didn't poop in like five days, <laughs> but learned, right? right. So, and here, you know, you mentioned yourself Oreos. One thing that I noticed not only gives me a little bit of an energy bump, but it, it changes things up from the, the packaged or the freeze dried type things that you have to be, you know, cause you, you really don't want to take too much food. That's going to spoil with you on the, a long backcountry hunt, but I brought apples with me and they're not very convenient for packing in and out because they're a little heavy and they take up a lot of space. But I noticed that midday, you know, after I eat my, my jerky and my trail mix and maybe a bar at the end of that, I wipe it down with an apple. That's awesome. It's fresh, something fresh. An apple will last a long time. You know, it's not, I don't know. It's not going to rot instantly. So I bring, I started bringing apples with me and I find that is, uh, that's another morale booster. Almost you get something fresh in you. And then, uh, and then at night, you know, make it back to camp and it's just water and, uh, water and, uh, I don't know, I'm on a, a peak refuel kick right now. Uh, that's what I've been using the past couple of years. 
and I, I seem to really like that stuff. Um, All right, we got we got to talk uh, favorite flavors then. Oh yeah, what are your what are your go to peak refuel flavors? I haven't I haven't used their stuff before. Okay, so right now my favorite uh, peak refuel is the sweet Spanish rice and chicken. Uh, it's really good, but I'm really interesting. interested in trying some of their new flavors. They got like a, a bison masher and then they got like an elk ragu, uh, that are coming out, but they also have like a chili Mac, like a lot of the other, uh, companies do. Um, so honestly, uh, I really like everything that they make. Um, I, <laughs> I was actually hungry at an ATA show and I, it's like, dude, I have had enough of the convenient stand, you know, the convenient stand type, you know, hot dog yeah. and, you know, eight, eight, eight dollar hot dog. So I went up to the guy at uh, um, Peak Refuel and I said, dude, I will buy uh, a packet off you. I'm sick of this food here. And so, but he ma- he gave it to me. He made one for me and gave it to me and he let me eat it. And I was like, damn, this is good. So that's, that's why I started buying their stuff, to be honest that's with you. That's funny. So, <laughs> that's great. But yeah, I, I've noticed that I've had Mountain House a couple of times and do my bowel movements just shut off when I eat that stuff. Doesn't work for you, huh? Does not work for me. And that's even with coffee and apples, you know, something fresh in, in the system as well. I just get plugged up, dude. It's no bueno. No, it's not. What about you? What's your, what's your go-to, um meal or what is there a do you have like a, a secret like something that you're you look forward to all day long well my go-to's are mountain houses they my system moves very freely <laughs> with, <laughs> with a lot of mountain house um and my favorites are like their mexican ones so the mexican rice and chicken is yep. really good um i always like to do a lasagna night that's a little Italian in there. Uh, the beef stew is hit or miss. It's, it's pretty decent, but I've got to be in the right mood for it. Um, and then finally, I recently became a fan of the teriyaki chicken. It's really sweet, yep. which is a nice thing that you don't get as much on a hunt like that. So uh, I'm a fan of that. I'll tell you one thing I will do is I don't all, I, not I don't remember to do this every year, but every year I try to remember to do this. And this nice thing when you do it is uh, – bringing some Taco Bell hot sauce and those little Taco Bell hot sauce packets. Yeah. They're, I, I like the flavor of their fire sauce a lot and it's small and individually packaged and it's nice to throw something like that in one of those meals and just give you a new kick just so it's a little different. Um, I like to have some hot sauce and that's an easy way to do it. So yeah. that's something that helps me out. Um, Otherwise, like you know, I keep it standard. I just run the mountain house, and then, like I mentioned, I try to. I, I now bring like one little sweet treat for the end of the night, and um, and that'll keep me real happy and yeah. looking forward to it. Well, I'll tell you um, another thing that I've done, and this this combination is crazy delicious. Uh, I I did bring it. I, I do bring it in the backcountry with me, but I also eat it at the truck as well, and that's ramen noodles. All right, a can of chicken, so canned chicken, and then so you cook your ramen noodles and your chicken all at the same time, uh, and basically you're just warming it up. The canned chicken, it's already cooked. You dump that out in a plate, so you still got all the water, and then you put instant mashed potatoes in that water, 
And then you, once they get all cooked up, then you mix it all together and then you throw some hot sauce on it. Oh my God. That is, that's one of those meals that you, you eat if you're in a bad mood and then it just instantly pumps you up. Like, dude, this is delicious. I'm ready for, I'm ready for tomorrow. Well, I mean, that is a carbo load uh, of epic proportions, nude pasta and mashed potatoes. That's, that's. I like it. Yeah. I like where your head's at. Little, I like that a, lot. <laughs> a little bit of protein in there from the chicken, but yep. yeah, I'm telling you. Um, now, do you bring anything like flavor water with you? You know, I historically have not. Yeah. I don't, um, but it is something that I found myself occasionally wishing I had. So I, I, I've thought about starting to do that, and not for every day, but just having – a couple so change that up of, of when sorts. you've got that, yeah, when you're in that mood, you need a little change up. You've got that special thing just once or twice over the course of a week could do something for morale when you need it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, myself, uh, I used to, but I don't anymore. It's pretty much just straight water at this point. Um, but I tell you one thing that keeps me from munching on all my food because I have a, I'm a notorious eater anyway, but also a muncher. So there's times where I probably shouldn't be munching on some snacks uh, at, you know, nine in the morning. I should be waiting yeah. a little bit longer or whatever is gum. Huh. I bring gum with me and I chew that, you know, I I'll just work on that for the week that I'm there, a pack of gum for a week. And, you know, maybe while I'm hiking, I chew something or on the way back to the camp, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm chewing, I'm chewing something and I don't know, it, it might just be to take my mind off of how, how sucky the pack out is, you know, like, Oh yeah. yeah. Pack out or the hike up the mountain or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that there's, that's a really good little trick to do. And, and that's how I use those cliff blocks I told you about. They're basically like energy gummy bar or gummy bears. Yeah. And it's the same thing. I keep them in my pocket and when I need that little pick me up or I'm freaking tired and I'm sick of hiking up that hill, I'll just pop one of those in my mouth and it's just enough to keep your mind off what you're doing. You've got something else to focus on and a little tiny little sugar bump or whatever. That's those little things can really make a big difference. Yeah. What are what are your uh, cuz it sounds to me like other than the mountain house meal you don't really need much water for your food prep. That's correct. Is that something that you've learned over the years like well if I bring more dried food I have to carry more water. Is it is that the reasoning why you've done it or is it just for from a a taste aspect? It's more so from two things. One, I just don't like having to take extra time to do the food prep. Like I, I want as little preparation as pot as possible and as little mess. Like I don't want, you know, I don't want to have to mess pots. Like some guys make oatmeal or something in the morning. I would never want to dirty a pot in the morning and then have yeah. to worry about that and deal with that same thing in the evening. Um, so that's why, yeah, like you mentioned, it's just the mountain house. That's all self-contained. Otherwise, you know, there's none of that junk I need to think about. I don't want to waste five minutes on that kind of thing if I don't have to. Now, the second thing, though, is, you know, if you if you have more water needs, it requires that you spend more time near water or make more trips to yeah. water, and that can limit where you can camp, or that can just become a huge inconvenience if you are camped out on a on a high point maybe, 
but you have to go way down to the bottom of this canyon to get water. And you're thinking, well, I, I got to make my dinner and then I need to have to drink some stuff. And then I got to make this oatmeal in the morning and I got to make coffee. And then you're making two trips. It just becomes a whole thing. So I like to try to keep that need down as much as possible so that mostly the water's there for me to drink. That's the most important use for the water. And then uh, just make my dinner once in the evening and it keeps it simple and keeps me from needing to have my entire life revolve around that water source. Yeah, that's a, that's a big thing. Uh, and that's something that I feel like I'm going to be doing a lot more research into is because I'll be honest with you, I bought a I bought a bigger pack or I got a bigger pack this year um, for a couple reasons. One is. I feel like I needed more than my old pack, right? That's the small one. But the other one was I feel like I need I I'm in decent enough shape where I can start carrying a little bit more weight going in and I want that extra weight to be water for just exactly what you said and that is to not have to find water so often. Yeah. So Yeah, I mean, it can definitely limit you even from being able to be set up in the right places. If you have to be right next to water cause you're using it so much. And then that keeps you from getting to a, a better vantage point for hunting. I mean, that can be an issue too. Yeah. So I got to tell you, I was, I, I saw these pictures of you on your vacation out in Colorado and I thought to myself, Dan's looking a little, a little bit trimmer <laughs> than usual. I feel like you're in, I feel like you're in mountain shape, dude. I'm down 26 pounds. Whoa, man. Yeah. Okay. In my eyes weren't lying last six. So, Here's what I said. I went to a, uh, and I, I talked about this on this podcast before, but I said to my wife, man, it would really be nice to lose about 30 pounds. Uh, that way it just makes packing in and out, hiking easier, you know, less weight on my gut and body and more weight in my pack, whatever. And so for Father's Day this year, she got me a fitness program the same fitness program that she, that she works. You go to a gym and someone yells at you for an hour and you lift heavy weights and you hit a bag and all this stuff. And I lost this weight and I'm feeling great, dude. I tell you what, I went into the mountains uh, this, you know, this past weekend and I felt amazing. Like I don't know why I wasn't caring about my weight before because I was not breathing heavy I was moving quickly. I was, you know, not having to stop as much. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm a flatlander who went out west and I had to stop every once in a while and, and get the big, you know. Yeah, sure. But, dude, I felt great. I am, because of that and this fitness program, I am so looking forward to my western hunts, not only this year, but next year. And, uh, dude, uh, I feel good. I feel, I feel confident. That's exactly what you want that's yeah. awesome yeah buddy well when it comes to uh backcountry food or uh because obviously when we hunt out of the truck for me anyway it's kind of an anything goes right i still kind of maintain the uh i don't know i'm i'm eating a bar i don't want to cook anything you know i don't want to make my coffee quite yet um I do expand my meal when I, when I'm at the truck, but not, but not by much really. Uh, I'll have maybe more fresh fruit or a banana or a bag of chips there that I'll eat. But other than that, it pretty much stays the same meal throughout the rest of the day, whether I'm hunting 
from the truck or from a tent. Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to the difference there, you know, those, those truck hunts again are for me, that's when I'm driving across the country and staying a week on some public land, camping in my truck, eating there. So I've got all that space, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I can, you know, bring a cooler. So I've got those frozen meals in there that I you know, can diversify every night, something different. They're much more hardy. They're a little more fun. Um, but I like to, you know, keep it simple still as far as preparation and cleanup. I don't want to do a bunch of dishes. So yeah. I like one pot and I, I take one pot and I clean that once every night and that's it. Um, I still, when it comes to breakfast and lunch, don't want to do anything fancy. So my breakfasts are same as like a backcountry hunt. It's yeah. like a bar. And um, then lunches are just one step up from backcountry. And that's when I'll do like sandwiches, just basic sandwiches and then some munchies. Um, and that's, that's kind of the standard approach. I do like your apple idea. I definitely do that on my tree stand hunts. Um, I like that burst of, of juiciness, that refreshing, um, just a, a new kind of thing. That apple taste is different than your typical crunchy, munchy, whatever stuff that you take with you. So, uh, I'm a big fan of bringing those for, for lunches or snacks while out in the woods too. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, one thing that I'm looking forward to, or I'm going to be reading about more is my buddy, Ryan, we were up in the mountain about 11,000 feet and out of his pack, he pulls a, he pulls a, a bagel that had bacon, peanut butter, and honey on it. And it was vacuum sealed. So one thing that I am wanting to look into is to create, because let's be honest, eating a bar of any sort multiple times a day for six straight days can suck, right? And I'm looking into maybe buying a vacuum sealer and learning how to pack like make and pack your own stuff so that when it comes time to, uh, you know, grab a snack or grab a meal for the day, it's something that you put together, maybe a little bit fresher. You don't need water with it. And, uh, that's, that's, so that's personally something that I'm looking forward into researching. Yeah. I, uh, I have no interest in making my own dehydrated meals. That seems yeah. like pain in the butt, but I can see, you know, you know, vacuum, vacuuming up some snacks like that's I've done that with jerky. I made my own jerky and vacuum packed it like that. And that's nice. Um, and you know, that, that bacon, peanut butter, honey, or whatever that combo is on a bagel that, um, I've tried that and that's, it's pretty darn good. And I, I believe that originates with Cameron Haynes way back in his old days, his book that he wrote early pre Cameron Haynes of the social media era. Um, he wrote this book, Backcountry Bowhunting, I think. And uh, he he wrote about that there. And I think a lot of people have brought that into the future and kept doing that because it's it's an interesting one, but it works. Yeah. And uh, yeah, every, every once in a while, I'll bring that along as a rut snack, actually, during November. Is it something that you, you vacuum pack or just I, make it and put it in a... Yeah, for my for tree stand stuff, I've never vacuum packed it. Okay. I've just made it in the morning, put it in a Ziploc bag, and just bust that out midday. And it's just a super hearty, you know, energy energy binge kind of snack. Absolutely, man. Well, anything else that we didn't cover today regarding uh, backcountry meals or or eating from the truck type of uh, snacks, meals, drinks? Man, I think. 
I, I don't think so. I think the biggest thing that I do that I think is is good is that whole day by day packaging that has yeah. like really helped me. Um, so whenever anyone like if I have anything to offer, that's probably my my number one piece of advice. And I know it's not unique. A lot of people do it, but uh, but that's super helpful. And then I think finally have a little bit of like and I already said this, but I think give yourself that little reward. It's really easy, especially if you've never done this before, to get really caught up in the calorie counting and the weight counting and making sure, okay, I got to have this perfect. It's got to be just the minimal amount of stuff. It's got to be exactly right. I need to have, you know, extra energy at this point and blah, 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 blah. And it's fun to kind of geek out about that. Um, But remember, like, this will be tough at times. Like your hunt's going to be tough at times being out there in the wild for days on end. You're going to have some challenges. It's going to be some type two fun at times where you're going to be kind of miserable in the rain or the snow or whatever. You're going to be whooped and having that little, you know, food pick me up is a nice thing. So just pre think about that and add a little something here and there into your packaging. That's going to give you that little boost when you need it because, uh, that's a, it's kind of a cheat code. Like you said, like you've got a little cheat code when it comes to boosting your mood and in some of these foods. So, uh, be thoughtful about that ahead of time and just know like, Hey, there's probably going to be maybe two times during this week where I'm going to be pissed off or I'm going to be bummed out. I'm be tired. (laughs) So you better have two pissed off pieces of food. Maybe it's a half a candy bar or whatever it is. Something that's going to just give you that little extra something that's, you know, I think it's a small thing. Yeah, it's going to be a little extra weight, but um, I think those things more than make up the difference with kind of how they can affect your your psyche. Yeah, and just to add to that, I think for me, one is always bring, just in case, a little bit more than you need. And I don't, I don't mean like four whole days extra. I'm talking maybe one day or maybe a half a day extra worth of food that, you know, you can dig into, uh, if needed. The second thing that, and I would recommend, and this, these recommendations are on my very short, you know, experience level when it comes to backcountry hunting and, and, and hunting from your truck and stuff like that, but bring variety. I feel that just like the apple, just like the candy bar variety can alter mood. It can, you know, it allows you to, to think of something other than potentially how bad it sucks out or the hunt. And it gives your mind a break when it comes to, uh, you know, thinking about what's going on, right? Oh man, do I want this today tonight? Or I do, what do I want this tonight? And it's just, for me, it's a, it's a, an escape from the escape, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I a hundred percent agree. So if Dan Spano is listening to this, he'll, he'll, uh, he's the guy I go hunting with. He will bring probably 14 <laughs> chocolate God. chip cliff bars. <laughs> that guy is, he's a champ, man. Yeah. He he's likes them though. Like, he says he's, he's a like dog. Stomach he, of steel. F- feed me the same thing every day, man. That's what oh, he says. So that's amazing. <laughs> well, Mr. Kenyon, man, I really appreciate you, uh, hopping on today and, uh, good luck this fall i'm sure i'll talk to you before uh, then oh, yeah. but uh good luck on everything and uh i hope that when you're in the backcountry you have uh, delicious meals <laughs> right back at you buddy it's always a good time catching up
And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Mark for taking time out of his day to hop on and chit chat with us. Huge shout out to you for taking time out of your day to download and listen to this episode. And huge shout out to the partners of this podcast, Vortex Optics, the average conservationist, Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands, Vortex Optics, Wasp Broadheads, and Ozonix. Please go out and support the companies that support these this podcast uh, because they're all great companies and they all make products that will benefit you whether you're hunting in the timber or in the flatlands or in the mountains uh yeah so there's that so thank you very much please subscribe to the nine finger chronicles podcast tell your friends about it Uh, hunting season is just around the corner and that means lots of content coming out of the sportsman's nation camp that is going to be focused on helping you be more successful in the woods or the flatlands or the mountains both on the big game side and on the whitetail side as well so uh, keep an eye out for all that information but other than that be good to your neighbor treat everybody with respect Um, get outside as much as you can, man, and, uh, have a good day. We'll talk to you next time.